Welcome to Shotgun Story, a podcast that has conversations with indie creators about music, meaning, and the point of it all, so that you may be inspired by the journeys of other artists who are doing it for themselves, and maybe gain a little more understanding as to why it matters quite so much that you keep creating. Zetu Tola is a marketing campaign manager working in the music and events industries. She creates marketing strategies and campaigns for the music releases of some of the biggest artists in Africa. She's also a mom. Zetu and I met through the She Said So Parenthood Committee, which is a community of parents within She Said So formed to support and hear the voices of parents of all genders who are members or allies. The committee's objective is to provide a supportive and open platform to empower parents in the music industry. Hi Zetu, thank you for coming on the show. Hi Tori, thank you for having me. So I want to start right at the beginning. Why music? What is your relationship to it? I think my earliest memories include music. I grew up in a house where music was always playing. My parents were big into jazz, gospel, R&B. And just growing up, there was never a moment in the house where it was quiet. So it was always around me. I have an uncle, my dad's younger brother, played the electric guitar, incredible on the saxophone. And growing up, I just gravitated towards wanting to learn how to play an instrument. So when I was nine years old, I enrolled in piano lessons. I played piano from the age of nine all the way until I was 18. And then coincidentally, I never played the piano again after I turned 20 because I kind of ruined it for myself. I took it as a subject in high school and the theory and the demands and the expectations were so high, it literally sucked the joy out of playing it creatively and to express myself and as an escape. Yeah. And from there, you know, I was just always a fan of musicians and creativity. So I found myself gravitating towards people who created music when I was in university. Um, I ended up in drum sock at Rhodes. I thought that we were going to learn how to play the drums. <laughs> I didn't know <laughs> it was low-key, a hippie drinking and drum circle club. <laughs> but that was probably my last attempt into the music world when I was in university. And then naturally, when I started working in fashion journalism, a lot of the people that I would interview for my features happened to be musicians, you know, yeah. and then from there, full steam ahead into the music world and the music industry. So it's just always been a part of my life. And I'm glad I ended up here. I wanted to be a singer. I think every little girl wants to be a singer when you grow up, especially when you grow up in a house that always has music and always has the kinds of songs you can identify with, can run up and down the hallways, singing at the top of your lungs, pretending you're in a musical or you're a star on a stage. So yeah, it's one of the most incredible things. And I think the older I got and realized I do not have the voice of a singer. <laughs> I do not have the flow to be an incredible rapper. The next best thing is to be the person who helps people become what they want to be. And that's where I've been. Oh, that's amazing. So you started as a journalist. What made you change industries? I ended up in journalism by accident. I quit varsity at the end of 2011 because what I was studying, I didn't want to do that for the rest of my life. I just knew that that is not what I want to do. And I was two years in and I told my parents before I waste any more of your money, I'm not going back. Yeah. <laughs> and they're like, you have to go back. And I was like, well, I actually deregistered from the university, so I cannot go back. <laughs> It was a whole drama and dilemma coming from a black household. Like, I don't know how I didn't get my ass whooping uh -huh. in that moment. <laughs> and I was unemployed at home and I got slightly depressed and regretting the decisions that I'd made. So I started a little blog. It used to be called The Diary of Stoned Love Child. I used to literally go on Twitter and I would tweet and DM all kinds of celebrities and ask them if they would like to be on my little blog. So I ended up interviewing people like Tinashe, the US singer, Lutando, who's now one of the biggest presenters in the country, all these different little people when they were small and starting out. 
And eventually I one day saw a tweet from Marie Claire magazine saying that they were looking for a features intern, but it was all the way in Cape Town. I'd never been to Cape Town in my entire life. And I decided to shoot my shot and apply for this thing. And I got the internship, funny enough. They saw my blog and all my writing references and I got the job. But the next step now was to convince my parents that little old me, who had never been out in the big bad world from a tiny, tiny, small town, could pack my bags <laughs> and go to the city and work at a fashion magazine. It was too good to be true. My mom didn't even believe me for a while. She was like, there's just no way the Marie Claire just randomly decided you're going to get an internship. And she called them oh and they said, I have the job. And so, yeah, we had to take that big step. And that's how I ended up in fashion journalism. Oh, my gosh. I mean, quickly, as a parent, from your parents' perspective, how did you get to Cape Town? Did they drive you there? I would have never let my child go. <laughs> my kids can hear me from the other room. You are not going to Cape Town out of nowhere one day if we ever leave Cape Town. Um no, it was very scary for them. I also didn't know anyone in Cape Town. Yeah. I knew one girl, but she was only going to be in Cape Town around the same weekend I would be moving to Cape Town. So I had to house hunt and do everything over the internet. I was absolutely paranoid. And I don't come mm. from a wealthy family or anything. So to mm. find an apartment and put down the deposit, and then this lady ghosts me for two days. Oh, my God. Oh my okay, gosh. it turned out she actually happened to be sick, and she hadn't run off with my money. But I was so terrified of being scammed and getting on this bus that was 23 hours long. I live 23 hours away from Cape Town. That's my oh hometown God. is that far by bus. I was terrified. I arrived at the bus station. I got into a cab. I was like, please don't steal me. <laughs> <laughs> and off I went to go live in Friederhook in Dyser Park. And wow. that, yeah, my parents were terrified the whole way. Like they were calling me every two hours on that bus trip. My mom even bought me two of those little phones, those little hundred rand phones. Yeah. Like if anyone steals this one, you have that one. Keep this one in your pocket, that one in your bag, that one in your suitcase, no matter what. Oh my <laughs> but gosh. yeah, I'm glad that they took that shot on me. The pay was absolutely ridiculous. So for them to fund their own lives and then also fund me, it was 500 rand a month. Like it was a literal joke to be wow. an intern at yeah. Marie Claire. Imagine. But you knew what you were signing up for. I knew that from there, I could possibly go higher. I didn't know how, but I was like, yeah. I'll figure it out when I get there. Yeah, it was terrifying for them. Um, my mom was absolutely worried. And I was exploring the city, making new friends. I love to go out and meet people. My mom hated that about me, <laughs> especially moving to a new place. It was like, the city is so big. If yeah. this girl disappears, there's oh. no way that we can find her. But luckily, nobody disappeared. Thank goodness. Thank goodness. Nobody disappeared, right? Yeah. So now you started there. And then at some point, you changed industries. I started to excel within fashion. You know, I was working two jobs. I was a waitress by night mm -hmm. up until like one, two in the morning. And I was a journalist by day just so I'd be able to cover my bills. So mm -hmm. from that internship, I ended up working at Glamour as their features writer. And because it was a much higher role, I could pick who I spoke to and happened to interview a lot of musicians. And I really started to feel that I'm not in the right place. How do I get into the music industry? And then I put myself out there on some freelancing website. Lord knows they could have been just trying to mine people's personal information. <laughs> but I was so young and naive. I was like, I'm just going to put all my information out there. And if someone finds me, they find me. This is the revolution. <laughs> We're all freelancing now. And Ground Up News, they're actually an amazing little grassroots news organization was looking for a music writer and they were like we'll take you and i was like okay cool 
And for them, I specifically interviewed artists, primarily from the townships um, yeah. who were making it big that people wouldn't know about. Artists like DJ Foster, Sipe Tebeka, who grew up in the township and they've played huge festivals like Tomorrowland and Glastonbury. But no wow. one knows this, yeah. you know, like absolutely no one would know that these guys were playing at Tomorrowland because they didn't have the PR to put them out there. They didn't have the news organizations after them. So that made me want to really expose the artist story and work with the artists. And then somehow, you know, being a fan of music festivals and the nightlife, I met a woman named Sue Little, and she was the then wife of Brian Little, the founder of Seed Experiences and Rocking the Daisies, Sowing the Seeds, all of that. And she used to do the social media for Rocking the Daisies. And I used to tweet Rocking the Daisies all the time. Every time it was almost October, I would shout from the rooftops of the internet <laughs> that it is that time of the year where I come out of hibernation to go to the best place on earth. And we struck a friendship through that. I never even knew she was the person that managed the socials. Mm -hmm. And one day she messaged me from her private account and she was like, we're actually looking for a PR coordinator. Would you be interested to apply for the job? And I was like, Sue, I've never PR'd in my life. And then she made me realize a lot of stuff I had done within journalism and freelancing and shouting from the rooftops on the internet was a lot of the kind of PR they were looking for to reach my age group of people. Like yeah. they were looking for like a different new way to tap into the internet youth and yeah. communicate with them and make them excited and sell more tickets. So I was game. I applied for that job and I got it. I couldn't believe. And I joined Seed Experiences. And that was my first official role in the music industry to become the PR coordinator for Seed Experiences. And then the woman who was the actual PR manager ended up falling pregnant and leaving the company. And I got bumped up to PR manager in like three months. I went from never doing PR to you now do the PR of two festivals and a whole bunch of concerts. And I was like, oh okay, bro, <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> But it would turn out really well. You know, I was always open and honest when I didn't know how to do things. Um, I learned so much from many different people. I did short courses in my spare time. I was on the internet Googling how to do certain things. But like the job came to me so naturally, I think yeah. because I was just in love with their events company so much that it was easy. And they always kept bringing the type of people I wanted to see and listen to and enjoy. So I knew how to sell them really, really well. And what was great about it was to do PR for so many festivals and events under their umbrella all in one. You PR each artist, you know, the bigger they are, they have their own little mini PR campaign, their own little radio tour, TV tour, media tour when they're in the country before they get here. You are creating the social media content, boosting the adverts. Everything was just coming together. So it all came together very naturally. And I knew from there that this is where I'm meant to be. And I ended up working at the festival for seven years. So while it was owned by Seed Experiences, and then I lost my job in between. And then again, while it was bought by Stain Entertainment. And I only lost my job in between, not because I was bad at it or anyone hated me. Unfortunately, Seed Experiences found itself in a position where they had to liquidate the company and let go mm. of employees. And because the festivals had been bought by new management, new management wanted to hire people themselves and yeah. they wanted to pick specific roles themselves that they thought should stay. And since they were new in the festival industry, etc., they wanted to hire a PR company that was very experienced in live events and things like that. So I knew it wasn't a vendetta against me. Yeah. You know, I was the that only black sense. person at the company. I didn't go shouting in the streets. They fired the only black person <laughs> <laughs> because that's what it looked like, but that's totally not what it was. Yeah. And a lot of people used to bring that up to me and say, that's so weird that the only black person got fired. And it's like, actually, this was what happened. And I don't want to talk about retrenchment because this was my favorite job ever in the world. And now I don't have it. 
But mm. when all of that was happening, Sue Little worked at a digital agency called Platinum Seed. And she helped me get a part-time job there. And then I did such an incredible job at this digital agency that they eventually hired me full-time. So they mm. did have my back, you know, in a lot of ways yeah. that people would not have known. But I was distraught to be retrenched is, oh. can I even swear on this podcast? You can. Oh, fucking yeah. scary. <laughs> to be told that you are not going to have a job in two weeks time and I've got no mm. family to depend on. And it's like, oh my God, am I going to have to move back to Kokstad <laughs> <laughs> after all these years of managing in Cape Town? I eventually got a job where I don't need to have two jobs to keep this job. And now that job is gone, which know. means I can either survive two more months on rent or save my rent money and move back home. So, Oh my God. That's that in a nutshell. <laughs> I know I just took like the long route to get here, but I think it's important to understand the twists and turns that actually eventually led me to being in the music industry. I just felt Absolutely. so in love. I had to make it work. I had to make it work. And so now I'm interested to know when all this happened, was this pre-kids? This is all pre-kids. Mm. I think I'm able to juggle my career and also have kids because I started it without kids and knew the implications and knew how toxic it can get and how difficult it can get. And I think I fell in love with someone in 2015. Let me not mm. say someone, Itamar, my husband yeah. in the other room. <laughs> we <laughs> fell in love. <laughs> and I was never one to say, oh, I want kids, because I was working in the music industry. To me, the idea of trying to be in the music industry and having kids felt like I'm going to have to switch careers. And then I think because we both eventually worked from home, we realized that, hey, it's a possibility. You know, we can help each other make our dreams come true and we can work within the industry. And so deciding to have kids was easy. Yes. I can't say there was a moment we decided. I think in conversation over the years, we were like, if a kid happens, we're ready for it. Like we're down mm. for it. We think we can make it work. And when I fell pregnant, we really sat down and I voiced out my concerns. I was like, listen, I'm a career woman. I am driven. I do mm. not want to have resentments towards a child because I couldn't do anything. And he yeah. felt the exact same way. And I think he was more ready for kids than I was. I won't say I wasn't ready. I just, you're never ready as a yeah. woman. You're never ready to be pregnant <laughs> and stay pregnant. You're never ready for that, <laughs> even if that's what you want. You know, when it hits yeah. you, whoa, it's a blow, bruh. So the lucky thing about that was I fell pregnant at the exact time I quit my job which was crazy. Um, at that point, I'd been working for the PR company One Eye Jack for three months. Yeah. And my three months of probation was up. And that was the point where I was like, you know what, actually, I want to go freelance. And I resigned. And then a few days later, I found out I was pregnant. I, I kind of knew I was pregnant. Um, yeah. And I was nominated for a few bookmark awards in 2017. And I was like, I have a feeling I'm pregnant. So I'm going to go to Joburg and I'm just going to get wasted <laughs> at these <laughs> awards and use it as my last chance to party it up. I wasn't feeling anything to say I'm pregnant, <laughs> but I just had, I was like, hmm, something's not right. Something's just weird in the elements of my body. <laughs> so I was like, you know what? I'm going to party with my friends because all my most of my friends at that point were living in Joburg. I'm going to party with all my friends because I have a feeling something is up. And I did the shadiest thing. When I came back to Cape Town at the airport, went to the store and I bought a pregnancy test. First of all, mm -hmm. I didn't even know that they had pregnancy tests at airports. But I was like, <laughs> it, <laughs> it is 8 p.m. And when I get home, I need some answers. I found out I was pregnant and first it was like, oh my God, how did I And then an hour later, it's like, I quit my job. How am I going to keep the baby alive? <laughs> so it was like all kinds of emotions just mm -hmm. happening yeah. at the same time. And, you know, my man, so supportive, so in love, so excited, you know, and I went through 
a whole roller coaster that I'm sure a lot of first time moms go through. One day you're like, oh my God, I'm going to get these baby clothes. I can't wait to find out if it's a girl or a boy and put up the nursery. And then the next day it's like, we can't have this baby. This is the worst decision we could ever made. So it was very up and down for like the yeah. first two weeks until I was like, listen, you are pro-choice. And right now, nothing should hold you back. You're pro-choice. You're not doing whatever it is that other people might think of being anti-pro-choice. But I decided this is what I wanted. This is what our family wanted. You know, we wanted to grow our love even more. We wanted to have a little tiny tot. And we went through with it. And in November 2017, our little Talia was born. She's like a little industry baby. You know, she was responsive to Gom while I was pregnant. That was her favorite genre of music. Whenever Grom played in the house, regardless of the time of day, she would kick so insanely in my belly. It was one of the most fascinating things. She was responsive to Grom and to hip hop. Other genres of music, not so much. From the time that, you know, she could sit up, we were always drumming like with a her between our legs and a drum between her legs and we would always drum my fiance is a percussionist he's a sound engineer he's also into artist management artist booking artist liaison brand management things like that so he really taught her rhythm from before she even hit a year old she could hit a solid rhythm on the drum so she just grew up in more of a musical household than I could ever imagine. They play a game, the making a song game, where mm. she literally goes into her studio and they record music. They actually will make music. It's not for release or anything. It just entertains her to like push a whole bunch of buttons, make beats, things like that. Oh, that is so lucky. So it was terrifying at first, but I think working from home, both of us working from home, that's the luxury that being in the music industry, I think other parents don't get. As hard as it can be, especially now Mm. during COVID, where there's less work for music industry parents or you're forced to change careers, you get to be at home with the child, no matter how difficult it can be, because to be full-time parent and, and also try work from home is a lot. But a lot of other parents in other industries don't get that as much as they would Mm -hmm. like to do that. You know, they have to go to work every morning. They have to leave their kids with someone. It's not easy to leave your kid with someone because as much as you always hope that people have the best intentions for your child, you're the best at taking care of them. You you never know what your child will grow up thinking because you have your own thoughts from your own parents who had to leave you every day to go and work. When you're young, you're like, why can't you just stay? When you're older, you're like, you know what? We She was trying to keep us alive. <laughs> she had to go to work. It's why we had the clothes and the toys and the everything. So I think you get that joy of having a closer bond with your kids and when lockdown happened we just got so into parenting all the time and making the situation work no matter how hard it was without the extra help i mean it is so nice to hear the positives of it what about the challenges it's so challenging to be a parent it's rewarding but it is so hard to get anything done i mean i also have a six month old baby she'll be seven months in a few days time It's so demanding mentally, physically. I'm in a deadline-driven environment. I'm in an environment where I have to be strategic and creative for my job. And being tired all the time really Mm. impacts that creativity. I remember when I first became a mom and I would see people online talking about how, yeah, having kids actually makes you less smart because that's actually the impacts of pregnancy. I didn't believe them with my first kid. I can actually kind of feel it with my second kid that I'm not as creative as I used to be. I'm still very creative, but it doesn't flow out of me as easily as it did. And being tired, my priorities shifted. So another challenge is learning to prioritize your children when you were a career-driven person. And that's not a negative thing. Let me explain. Like, 
I was so obsessed with climbing up the ladder and excelling in the music industry that when I started falling in love with motherhood and raising my kids, that started to go higher than my career aspirations. And that was a bit confusing for me to process because I was like, I'm not this woman. You know, I've never been a, I want to be a stay at home mom woman. So one of the biggest challenges is to accept that my priorities have shifted and the fact that what I want more than anything is just to be a mother it makes working harder and also just having to be in such a stressful work environment when your kid needs you right there and then when you're in the middle of being pissed off by something you know you can't just be like what you know, because yeah. they, they don't deserve that. They don't need that. They didn't sign up for that. You know, that's creating a whole kind of different way that they're going to view themselves and think about, you know, did I do something wrong? So it's to work from home, especially, and balance your kids is so hard. You know, yeah. it took so long for my three-year-old to understand that me taking my computer and locking myself in the bedroom to do a video call is not anything against her. I actually need to work. I'll bounce a lot between working on my phone and working on my computer just so that the kids don't feel like I'm at this big screen. But what you also notice is that you're on the little screen too. So when I'm on my phone to do non-work stuff, to have a kid be like, Ima, put your phone away. She calls me Ima because she's half Israeli, so she speaks Hebrew and Kosa. So she calls me Ima and not mom, which is mom in Hebrew. So she'll be like, Ima, put your phone away. And, you know, it's things like that where it's like, oh, my gosh, you know, does she think she comes second to these things? So you have a lot of conflicting thoughts and moments like that where, you know, sometimes I can tell she might think she comes second when that's not the case. Mm. Um, I think the hardest thing is learning to fully disconnect from work, even during work hours, which is an important thing. Putting the phone down so I can be present in the moment, even throughout the day. Each day presents a new thing (laughs) that you just might not be doing well. And it's hard to not do it. Because as a parent, you know, and working from home, you got to use every moment you can to work because you're not necessarily going to use that nine to five to be working. I don't even take lunch breaks because I know that, you know, the amount of times I had to breastfeed probably amounts to the lunch I would have had. Sometimes I'm even on my phone when I breastfeed just so things can keep going. Absolutely. What's so challenging is I feel bad about it, but it's necessary. Yeah. I breastfeed my child the like four minutes or five minutes before a meeting starts, which just plays towards my no camera rule. I just put <laughs> her on the boob and I spend that whole meeting with anxiety, like, please don't make a sound, please don't make a sound. And the other challenge that shouldn't be a challenge is accepting that people need to accept that we're working from home so our kids are there our kids are going to yeah. make a noise i just can't seem to accept that um, i can't seem to accept that it's normal for my child to disturb a video call to make noise in the background i mean i don't get upset at her but i'll be quick to like we gotta go yeah. <laughs> <laughs> whereas you know i had a meeting with one of my managers in london And I was holding my baby who was quiet the whole meeting. And then suddenly she started making like, and I was like, I'm so sorry. I'm just holding my baby. And she was, this was a few months ago. She was like, "Uh, never apologize for having to take care of your children. Never ever. I want to tell you right now, if your child ever makes a noise in any situation, you are not being unprofessional. You are taking care of your family member and you're taking care of your child and you are working from home. This isn't wow. working from an office. And I've always let those words resonate with me because yeah. every now and again, I get so anxious and like uptight. And then I'm like, oh, wait, you're at home. You're taking care of your children. Babies are a part of the deal. But that built a new habit now. Instead of apologizing when the child squeaks, I apologize when the call starts. Oh, so sorry. I have my baby here. That needs to stop 
completely. And I find myself saying those kinds of things in meetings where people already know I'm a parent. So I think I need to unlearn the habit of being embarrassed to be a parent because that's what it boils down to. It boils down to being embarrassed of the potential to not seem as capable as my Mm. non-parent counterparts. I pride myself in my work to think that some raggedy ass man (laughs) could think less of me just because a baby squeaks is some internalized negative misogyny. That's the only way I can think of putting it. You know, it's a male driven way of thinking that letting yourself show that you're a mother in the professional space is going to make you less of a human because that's what it's looked like all our lives that the minute a woman has a child she's less on it than when she didn't have a child that's what society makes you think growing up so when you eventually become a mom it's like i will do anything by any means necessary to show that even as a mother i'm still capable of all of these things we shouldn't be thinking like that that's that's really like a really toxic way to view motherhood and you don't realize that that's how you've been programmed your entire life to think until you become a parent and you realize that that's what you're doing you're embarrassed of being a parent you're proud of being a parent in every single scenario except for the moment that it makes you look weak you know i don't even know if i straight off topic i don't even remember where we started (laughs) i like the stray off topic because the parents that i know are the strongest people that i know yeah so great to have on your side now do you think that being a parent in the music industry is different from other industries Depending on where in the music industry you are, you have to leave your child at random times and for random mm-hmm. lengths of time. For example, when Itamar's doing studio stuff, it's nighttime, it's random, it's not regular where, you know, every Wednesday is a studio session and it just goes on for a long time and it's like trying to explain what the parent is doing <laughs> at random nights. Yeah. Also working in the live music space suddenly you're working from home every single day and then at the snap of a finger mom has disappeared for seven days without a trace like one day she's just like okay i'm leaving today (laughs) and i'll be back next week because i'm going on tour with some artists yeah i think that's hard i feel less comfortable leaving my children with someone at night then during the day, I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's being a woman and the darkness and <laughs> just like, no. But yeah. a lot of music industry things happen at night and I have more anxiety leaving my kids at night versus the day. And I also think irregular income, depending on where you are in the industry. And now what COVID has shown us is that your income can just stop <laughs> when you work in the music industry. Like, yeah. The country is the most dependent on the entertainment industry, but it's the industry that's forgotten when it comes to any kinds of relief and financial support. I think also it presents in the future. I'm not there yet. You can't tell your kid what they can't be. You know, at least back in the day, our parents could stop us and be like, you are not going to be a singer. You're going to go to school. (laughs) But now we have kids who are growing up with both parents in the music industry. Why can't I be a rapper? Like, mom, you work in marketing, market me. You know, dad, you're Mm -hmm. a sound engineer, record me. (laughs) So I think it's going to present new challenges in the future. But at the moment, I think it's more of a positive because your child will grow up knowing that creative expression is as valuable as academic expression and academic excellence. In school, I always felt unworthy because in certain areas, I wasn't getting the high marks and the praise that comes with it. You know, depending on which university you're trying to get into, you have to get ridiculously high points. Whereas, and it didn't feel to me growing up that being creative was an option. So I think the upside that my daughter has is that both of my daughters is that they will learn that creative expression is as valuable as a mathematical skill as being a scientist, you know, and that 
just because they can't count does not mean a thing. <laughs> you know, yeah. they can still make it and be something in the world. Absolutely. And what changes do you think could be made to make the industry more supportive for parents? I think more women in the industry need to become parents because what I've noticed is that majority of the music industry is men, mm -hmm. whether it's live events, production, actual recording, the music business, it's all men. So they leave their kids at home with women. You know, they yes. don't need support. This is like their time to shine with the boys. They love their families or whatever. But if you've ever been backstage or at any event, the guys are for some reason happy to be away from their kids. It's like, you're getting a break from the kids, hey? And it's yeah. like, no, I want to be back <laughs> with my kids. <laughs> I think the first step is getting more women into the industry and then getting more women to have babies <laughs> while uh -huh. they're in the industry. I feel like that is the biggest, most crucial change. And that's where the support would truly begin. Because if you look at She Said So Parenthood South Africa, right? There are three of us. We know that yeah. there are a lot more women within the music industry who have kids, but they might not frequent the music industry side of it enough to feel that they need a support system. They might feel like yeah. their friends are enough, like music isn't the primary thing behind them raising their family and being with their family. Mm -hmm. Whereas with men, they leave their women with their kids. We leave our kids with whoever we leave them with, whether it's our partner, family member, whatever. And I think that the support would only ever come from women. It's not yeah. that I'm rendering men incapable, but they are incapable as fuck <laughs> to form <laughs> any kind of support group. To tell a man to form a support group for parenting is to tell a man they're weak. That's exactly yeah. how they're going to perceive it, that they are incapable of taking care of their family, themselves, their business and their affairs. So <laughs> I think it would only come from women and People who don't have kids are not able to give that support. They can be kind and generous with their time and say, you can talk to me, you can let me know. But as a parent, you're not going to run to be supported about parent things by a non-parent. You would rather be sad and lonely crying in the corner by yourself, which is what a <laughs> lot of us as moms do. We'll talk to our friends, but yeah. in the times where I'm feeling the deepest senses of loneliness that are associated with motherhood or struggling, it's not even my childless best friend that I'll go talk to, knowing I can talk to her about the world. I keep that to myself because I'm like, only another parent would understand. And that's not to discredit my friends and say yeah. that they are incapable of comforting me and consoling me. But sometimes the exact same thing my childless best friend would have said to me would resonate to me harder if it came from Tori. Because I know that mm -hmm. Tori has kids. Tori's in the music industry. You know, Tori's faced with the same decision making. Tori woke up and felt less capable for no reason today. You know, I got yeah. something wrong with my daughter or we weren't in sync in the morning. And now that has emotionally obliterated my day. And there's no way of explaining that to a person who's not a parent because they'll be like, oh, but that was such a small thing. You know, like yeah. little triggers that as strong as you are as a mom, sometimes your emotional well-being <laughs> is hanging on by a thread because it never stops. You never stop yeah. being a parent. There's no such thing as switching it off. You can't just take a nap and you'll wake up feeling better. It's some things are not solvable and you need another mom to be like, you know what, that's really shit. And good luck, girl. <laughs> not yeah. it's gonna be better, it's gonna get better. It's easier to hear a good luck and use that as a source of strength coming from another mom than to hear it from yeah. a friend. Because I'll be like, oh, she doesn't care. Whereas if another mom is like, you know what, you just got to get it together. You'd be like, damn, she's got it together today. <laughs> Maybe I can get 2% of my togetherness from her. Oh, it's so interesting that you say that. I think about being backstage, particularly at festivals, and how few women are on the lineup. Yeah. And then beyond that, it's either mostly younger women who are not ready to have kids or older women who have not necessarily had kids. Yeah. And there are very, very few moms that I know 
who are on stages. People are purposely hiring non-moms. A month ago, a job spec came across my computer. Someone was like, hey, someone gave me your contact information and they thought that you would be a great fit. It's this festival that was looking for a marketing person for one of the branches that they're opening in a different part of Africa. And then I told them, actually, I started a new job and I'm not trying to go back to the live music industry for a while, but I can recommend some people. And then she was like, okay, sure, who are these people? And then I told them who these people are. And their first question was, do you know if they have kids or intend on having kids? So it's almost like the purposeful exclusion of a woman who would not have time for anything but this. It's also a form of exploitation. It's knowing that women work very hard, A, the fact that you are specifically looking for a woman to fulfill this role means that you acknowledge that a woman works very hard, they'll go above and beyond. In a lot of cases, they'll put their work first. But this time, you want to make sure nothing is in the way of them making a success out of your role. It's crazy. It's a boys club. And I think whenever people are hiring for long term or want people on their teams long term, they want to make sure that you're really there. And women can always just switch up on you <laughs> and have yeah. kids. It's like we're just going to unmask. We're like, ha gotcha. <laughs> I wanted to be pregnant all along. <laughs> I mean, do you think that being a parent has influenced your creativity? Do you feel more creative? Do you feel more resourceful? I feel more resourceful with my time. Yeah. I use my time a lot better and I'm able to set more boundaries with time. I think the biggest thing I've learned as a parent to do with workspace, time space is that I disrespected my time and I gave too much of my time freely to people and I let people believe that they could do whatever with my time, which plays back to the whole exploitation thing of knowing that women work harder. So, you know, the greatest thing that came out of being a parent was being able to set boundaries between work and personal time. Because I was like, from this time to this time, I'm a mother and there's no Mm -hmm. one coming in my way. I'm going to be hands-on with my kids. I'm going to be playing with my kids. I'm going to be making dinner. I'm going to be talking to my partner. We're going to be hanging out and nothing can come in that time. Before that, I had such a hard time stopping work at work times People who I worked with knew that they could send me a WhatsApp at 9 or 10 p.m. saying that, hey, can you have this ready by 10 a.m., 9 a.m. tomorrow? And I'd be like, yes, sure. And all of a sudden, my night of resting is done and I'm now working on this thing to make things happen for someone else. So one thing I've been really, really good at is establishing the boundaries of time, which even now when time has nothing to do with my kids, it's helped me respect my own time. And I can only credit that to having to make time for other people. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's also made me more emotionally aware which I think is important in a professional sense. You never think that emotional awareness is important because I'm able to better tell when people are not happy in a work environment and when not to ask for anything from someone. I found myself parenting indirectly to people my age or colleagues my age where I can tell that this person is having a really hard time in life And this thing that I need to ask them for, technically I could do it and it just takes up a bit more of my time. But I can tell that this person does not need this right now. Yeah. And patience. I don't know about creativity, (laughs) if I'm being honest with you. I can build better towers, but I don't need Lego towers (laughs) in my profession. (laughs) What I did want to say, though, is your children are very young. Yeah. And they say that... When you're not getting enough sleep, which, I mean, you're a breastfeeding mom, you're not getting enough sleep. You go into a little bit of fight or flight. And it's very hard to be creative and on top of things when you're in that mode. But in time, I'd say in the next two years, there will be a depth of creativity that you did not know was possible. It's coming for you. I hope so. And I believe you are right, because in... 
Talia's first two years of life, I felt mm. less creative. But the more she became independent and inquisitive about the world and self-sufficient in a lot of ways, my creativity started to really bounce back. And I felt like, okay, mm. I'm in the most creative space I've ever been. And then towards late pregnancy near the end of last year and having this new baby, I'm back to feeling not creative at all, which is so stressful considering my job is literally to come up with marketing strategies. <laughs> and you're right, like that lack of sleep, fight or flight, my body is really struggling. And it feels so hard to be able to tell the people I work with that I don't feel creative this week. I don't believe mm. I have anything of value to add. I can only have a to-do list once I come up with ideas yeah, it's so difficult. You know, I was hired for my strategic brain. How am I yeah. going to tell them <laughs> I'm not strategic for shit right now, <laughs> you know, without them second guessing this employment? Like what is going on? <laughs> I produce. I just feel that they think that this is my great work. They have yet to experience my great. They will be so shocked a year from now with the yeah. ideas that I will come up with because one thing about me and what I realized with my first pregnancy I stopped deleting ideas I wasn't using and started accumulating all of them in a document because pregnancy affected my memory and yeah. also I was micromanaged so badly in the previous job that I used to have that I knew my ideas were not bad I knew it. Yes. And that's, I think, where I learned that taste is subjective and so is strategic thinking. Yes. For maybe the first two years of being micromanaged by this person, I really did delete and throw those ideas away. And then at some point I was like, hold on a minute. This is an attack on me as a person, not my ideas. So my ideas aren't being rejected because they're bad. My ideas are being rejected because this man <laughs> doesn't like my ideas. So I started to collect my ideas. So what's been coming to the rescue now in my moments of being super tired and drained as a mom and feeling less creative is being able to open my little ideas document from 2019 and 2020 of all of these incredible ideas. I had to come up with new ideas almost every single week. And every single week I would come up with three different strategies for one idea because I knew that this person would reject two or all three of them. And I'd have to go back to yeah. the drawing board. And they were quite comprehensive strategies. I used one of them recently on a hip hop artist and we did a million streams in the first month of his album. Like it worked that well. And it was a strategy that was originally created to sell tickets. <laughs> Imagine <Yeah>. event tickets, <laughs> but I applied it, tweaked it a little bit to a musician and it went out the park and that showed me the importance of holding on to your ideas. You know, whether you become pregnant and have memory loss <laughs> or find yourself less creative. That is a great idea. It is. You know, the worst thing that could happen is that you don't use it. But yes. I felt really bad for the ideas I used to have and that I didn't give them life. And speaking of that, I'm reading this book. It's called Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert. The same woman who wrote Eat, Pray, Love. I did not like Eat, Pray, Love. I mean, I, li I like the idea of Eat, Pray, Love, but the book itself, I was like, yeah, it's a little too cheesy for me. But when I came across a video on the internet explaining this book while I was regurgitating old ideas from this document, it's almost like it was divine alignment that I came yeah. across this book during a time when I remembered one of my ideas that was rejected and I really, really knew it would be the perfect fit for a strategy that I was working on earlier this year. But I couldn't for the life of me remember the one crucial detail of this idea that made it so sick. I remembered the mechanics around it. I looked mm -hmm. in my Google Doc where I keep all of my ideas. It wasn't there. And I realized that it's an idea that I threw away before I decided to start keeping these ideas. 
Mm. And for two days, I couldn't even work, Tori. I was trying so hard to remember this because I knew how brilliant it was. And then oh. I was minding my business on TikTok and I come across this video of this girl talking about this book and how an idea is basically its own entity. It has its own life. It's its own energy form. And it'll mm. bounce from person to person trying to look for someone who's got the time or the energy or the creativity to bring it to life. And if you sit on it for too long and you don't bring it to life, that idea is going to leave you and yeah. it is going to go and find someone else. And the crazy thing is two months ago, little Nas X <laughs> releases Call Me By Your Name, Montero. And the song does very well. Obviously, he's gyrating on Satan, etc. It's bound to go viral. And then yeah. a few days later, he releases this website called thebookofmontero.com. You can go. I'll send you the link after this. And basically, yeah. you go on this website and you type in your name and you press submit and it gives you the lyrics of his song, but in like the old school way of like, you know, that ancient writing on a scroll yeah. and it has your name and then it'll label it the a verse from the book of Montero and the timestamp of the song of where the lyric is taken will appear as if it's a verse. And that yeah. was the idea. That was the idea that I wanted to put into a musician's campaign a few months before Montero comes out. And I could not remember oh that idea. And then oh this man gosh. on a different continent, someone on his marketing team came up with the idea to turn his song lyrics into a scripture of sorts. And that was oh exactly gosh. something I wanted to adopt into the campaign, but I couldn't remember the finer details of how I wanted this mechanic to work. And it was just like as simple as that. And I was like, I'm sold. I'm getting this book because I think that is exactly <laughs> what happened to me. I guess it also makes sense of how, you know, whenever you have an idea, if you're not going to put it to action, write it down or suggest mm -hmm. it to someone or help someone read it. But yes, moral of the story, <laughs> keep your ideas, <laughs> bring them to life. Also, speaking of big magic, Elizabeth Gilbert also has a podcast really? called Magic Lessons. It's incredible. It's incredible. You will find it so inspiring if you are a fan of the book. I'll definitely check that out immediately. <laughs> you must. Podcasts are the best. Okay, as we come up to the end of the interview, favorite song of all time. Do you have one? I think Is This Love by Bob Marley. Is this love, Good. is this love, is this love, is this love that I'm feeling? I fell in love with that song before I ever fell in love with anyone. And yeah. it's definitely one of the songs in my life I found to be comforting. And some of the most monumental, biggest memories of my life have that song playing in them. You know, the happiest times, the saddest times. And it's not connotated to happiness or sadness for me. I've always found yeah. it to be very comforting, very soothing. The fact that it can be applied to a person and it can also be applied to the self, like self-loving yourself. I think it's one of the few love songs that can literally be a song about yourself. It doesn't come with a sense of loneliness or I wish I had that. It gives a sense of I can give that to myself. So definitely. I love it. Also, who told you that you can't sing? You have a beautiful voice. Ah, oh, thank you. <laughs> I just can't hit those notes. <laughs> but thank you. Well, not all styles of music require that you hit those notes. Right. Yeah. These days. You could, you could start now. I could do whatever it is that Billie Eilish is doing that works for her. I could find my thing for my voice. You totally could. Uh, you totally should. Not like I'm encouraging you to do more music things, but I'm totally encouraging you to do more music things. But you know how the music industry feels about mums who sing. That's a story for another day. You know, <laughs> if they can't sexualize you, they put you feeling like you're in a crisis. It's tricky. Although there's something wonderful about doing it regardless. Yes, definitely. Local artist, because you work with a lot of local artists, 
Is there someone we should keep our eye on? Next big thing. There's an artist called Monga K, but it's spelled M-O-O-N-G-A and then K full stop. I think he's yes. going to be very big one day. He actually released a song in July called Black, Free and Beautiful. And it's one of the most incredible songs I've ever heard in my life. You should go listen to it after this interview. It will blow your mind. That's exactly what I'm going to do. He's going to be huge. He's Namibian, living in South Africa, and he's just so talented, so incredible. And he has an EP coming out later this year. It's some of the most incredible music I've ever heard from any artist. It's just out of this world, you know. He took whatever emotional place he was in and he turned it into something spectacular. Amazing. Okay, advice. And in fact, I was going to straight up ask for advice, but PR advice for local indie artists. Guys who are doing it for themselves. Be on social media. Be on TikTok. I know mm -hmm. TikTok sounds overwhelming, but it is the one social media network where you can attract people from all over the world in one space. That algorithm will showcase your stuff to so many people around the world, and that's what you want. Second piece of advice, it is more valuable and worthwhile to use the money you would have used on PR to actually promote your posts on social media because it's nice to look cool in the papers and the online magazines and everything else, but it's not going to translate to actual streams and bookings. What you want to do is reach the people who are going to make you money at the end of the day. And then the third thing is ditch the music videos. Stop making long form music videos. For the budget you would have had to make a music video, take that money and create 30 to 60 second visualizers for each song on your album or on your EP that you can then boost to reach your audience and to drive streams to those songs. The music video is dead. Leave that shit to Cardi B, <laughs> Megan Thee Stallion, and all of these superstars. If you're up and coming, you want to make as much compelling video content that you'll promote as possible. That, by far, is way more valuable than any PR you're going to pay for. I love it. That is some great advice. How can people get in touch with you? I have... TikTok and Instagram at Zetuqola, Z-E-T-H-U-G-Q-O-L-A. You can always DM me and I'll reply, unless you're being creepy. And if you send a dick pic, I'll send a dick pic right back. So don't ask where I got it. <laughs> but yes, I'm always open to answering any career questions if people have. If any of the people who follow me are listening to this, they can attest to this, that they have come at me and asked me for advice. And I haven't been one of those industry babies who keeps things to themselves. I give my advice freely. If you're being sincere and you're not exploiting anyone in your shenanigans, I will help you because I think everyone deserves to be empowered and to know how to put themselves and their career out there for the better. Setu, thank you. That is so wonderful. And thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. This has been lovely. It's felt like talking to a friend. Yay. If you are an indie artist whose passion for what you do can inspire or fuel others, get in touch. I'd love to chat. You can find me on Instagram at Shotgun Tori. You've been listening to another production from Solid Gold Podcasts. So you can call me friendly Tremble down before you know where you can live in envy You burn cities in the name of greed, ain't that appalling Make the world about you, oh my lord, you so boring Separated homes, but you cower, cower Jaded in your mind and you devour, devour Limit my potential, but I got the power In the name of love, I'm gonna holler I'm back free
boy for everything you need to know. Go read a book or something. My people are tired.